It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Super Sunday night edition of Heat Wave Sports. I'm Tom Barton sitting in with Chris Wynn. Tim Unglesby will be also joining us on this wild, wild, wild wild card day. And it was absolutely incredible. Look, the entire weekend was absolutely incredible. I would go as far to say this is the best wild card weekend that I can remember, guys. And from a betting perspective, wow. We have had five overs now. We've had four straight underdogs. We had Skylar Thompson, a backup to a backup to a backup. Yeah, a third string quarterback put the fear of God into Josh Allen. We had Tyler Huntley put the fear of God into Joe Burrow. We have Daniel Jones advancing in the playoffs, not to mention Brock Purdy, what Trevor Lawrence did. We're going to get into it all. Plus, we also have one more game left. So if this wasn't enough, we have Cowboys against Tom Brady. Yeah, it's not the Buccaneers. It's Tom Brady. We're going to break that game down. And I already have the lines for next week's game, some of the matchups that are going on. Everything's sort of decided in the AFC, and it's just kind of the NFC is left to be decided as far as the lines go. So we'll give you all of that. Guys, it's going to be two hours of great sports talk. Make sure you guys jump on board. You can t- go to Twitter. We love the Twitter. It's at Tom Barton Sports, at Christian Win at C Win over there on Twitter, and at HW Sports. If you want to jump on board, you can take the phone call too, 876-1340, 876-1340. It's going to be a football-laden show. If you guys want to call about UNLV in hour number two, we're going to try to find a little time for that, maybe. But it looks like it's going to be all football, all NFL on this wild, wild, wild weekend. Chris, let me bring you on, man. I'm telling you, this is, in my memory, the best wild card weekend that I can remember. I know we've had upsets before. I know that we've had close games before. I don't remember a time where every game, and that's what happened tonight uh, or today on Sunday, every single game came down to one possession. The Jacksonville game obviously came down to one possession. Even the San Francisco game, as much as the final score is crazy, that game is a a one-point game at the half. Chris, has this been the wildest weekend that you can remember in the NFL as far as wild card goes? No question about it, Tommy. Always good to join you, of course, on a super Sunday night with some heat wave sports action here on Fox Sports Radio in Las Vegas, and make no mistake about it, all kinds of drama, high drama across the board in the NFL on this weekend. Of course, yesterday, two games in which, you know, you started off, you thinking, you know, the Niners get that 41-23 win. You think, okay, maybe some of these games are going to shake out where the favorites are going to kind of flex their muscles a bit. Well, it wasn't the case, Mr. Barton, as the rest of the football games throughout the weekend, the final four matchups, were single-score affairs to close it out, including two games that were three points or less. And I'm talking about, obviously, the Jacksonville 
Los Angeles Chargers tilt Saturday night. And, of course, the early game between the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. So no question about it, Tommy. And you had all kinds of high drama, right? You got big defensive linemen rumbling and stumbling down the field in this matchup between the Bengals and the Ravens that ends up deciding the football game. You got, uh, you know, high-quality matchups between teams that have faced. And another thing, too, right, Tommy, about these matchups, a lot of familiarity, my friend. Every single one of these matchups featured teams that were able to face each other during the regular season. So a lot of familiar faces in familiar places and a lot of dramatic action when it comes to the NFC wildcard weekend that has started off and kickstarted the, you know, 2022-23 NFL postseason. You know, I, I got to tell you, it is it's really hard for a sports handicapper to navigate around here as great it is, as it is for a sports fan. I looked at this weekend, and I usually, on a huge weekend, I usually play two or three NFL games. I've already played three games. I love two underdogs, and I have no nails because of my one with Baltimore, and I won with Jacksonville. I had the Baltimore under. Uh, which was a push in most cases, right? Which for some of them, some people got the bad hook. But so I'm sitting back and I'm going, for me, I looked at this weekend as an underdog type of weekend. But I announced on the show last week when we were going over it, I said, my initial thought is I like all the unders. And we've had five overs, Chris. So it's giving everything for the fans. And it's really, really is giving back where you like the scoring. I'm, I'm sitting in the sports book. I'm here in Atlantic City. And, and you know, um, I'm jumping between the FanDuel and Bally's and going back and forth uh, through the sports books. And in the sports books, you hear prop play, prop play. Oh, that one's hit. No, I need this. I need that. People are really, really, really enjoying this. Even as far as I know a lot of people don't do it, but even as far as still setting lineups for fantasy, daily fantasy, this is a great tribute to what the NFL is when it's at its best. We often have a lot of problems. And listen, there was problems this weekend. There's a lot of uh, bad refereeing out there, a lot of bad officiating, including you said it, 94, number 94. Uh, is still running for Cincinnati, except we got a lot of pushes in the back on that one, right? So, yep. you know, there's that. But the NFL this weekend should take center stage and take a bow because this is what people want to see. Now, look, I could maybe disagree with it. I like low-scoring games. I like running. But this is what the NFL wanted. Cinderella stories, not only a Brock Purdy, but how about a Cinderella story in Daniel Jones? And the Cinderella story in guys that actually lost. Look, don't just overlook, hey, they didn't win the game. Tyler Huntley was right there. Skylar Thompson was right there, right? Um, so we had that. We had quarterbacks that are absolutely right there taking the leap. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Herbert, and Trevor Lawrence. We have new teams in the fray. Yeah, they always talk about parity and new blood. We have new blood in the fray. But at the end of the day, what do we really want to see? We really want to see the big boys move on. So while we got to scare, while we got to entertain, Buffalo's moving on, Cincinnati's moving on, San Francisco's moving on, right? The upper seeds are all basically moving on, except for Minnesota, which we'll get into. So I think that before we go into the games, Chris, I want to talk about just the overall state of the NFL. We always get the old curmudgeons, and I, I might be leading the charge here, when we look at things and we go, ah, it's not like it used to be. Ah, it's not like it once was. Chris, ah, this league's going downhill. And then they give you a weekend like this, and you see why the NFL is untouchable as far as sports watching ability. 
is untouchable fan, you know, just interaction. This was the best highlight. Now, I never think the Super Bowl is. We've had a couple of good Super Bowls, but I never think the Super Bowl is the best highlight of what the NFL is. This weekend, this year, Chris, to me, this was the highlight of exactly why we love sports and we love football. Well, there's no question that it's high drama when you're talking about the NFL in the postseason, right, Tommy? There's no question about it. And let's be straight up about it, right? This is the beginning of the postseason. It's week one. It is the wild card weekend, so it's an opportunity for us to to kind of see that out. And it's it's not like the regular season where you have next Sunday that you can deal with it, right? This is a one-and-done type of scenario, very much like the NCAA tournament and other, and other sports as well, too, where, you know, it's it's the end-all, be-all in, in these moments. And so, therefore, you've got these matchups, and you've got – and another thing that I talk about all the time, and, and you and Tim also do, is storylines, right, Tommy? I mean, there's all kinds of storylines across the board with respect to human interest. You talked about the quarterbacks, right? Guys, we think about the playoffs, right, and you think about big-time games. You usually want, you usually think, right, it's going to be the big-time stars. It's going to be the pro bowlers, the Hall of Famers that make the make their mark, right, that end up being the story. Not necessarily the case. You talked about Tyler Hunt. You talked about, you know, some quarterbacks that are, that are playing Geno Smith, those guys, where they're actually getting an opportunity to shine in the moment where they wouldn't necessarily be there and wouldn't necessarily be talked about. And so that adds to the intrigue as well, too. And make no mistake about it, also creates opportunities for people like Saquon Barkley and the New York Giants, right? It creates opportunities for people like Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. You think about the quarterbacks in the AFC that we always talk about for the last couple of years, the Pat Mahomes, the Justin Herberts, the Josh Allens. Well, let me tell you something. Now maybe Trevor Lawrence is, you know, is, is working his way into that group, right, Mr. Barton? We got to start talking about Trevor Lawrence now among these quarterbacks, the young guns in the AFC that are going to be at the top of the at, at the top of the heap. So without question, Tommy, it creates all kinds of interest and intrigue when we get into the postseason because of it being one and done, and because it's an opportunity for guys to kind of immortalize themselves in the National Football League when it comes to the postseason. And we just saw that take place in the last couple of days. And we have one, and as you pointed out at the top of the show, we still have one more game left. We still have a Cowboys Buccaneers tilt for Monday Night Football, in which you have a quarterback on the backside of his career going up against one of those guys that's you know trying to trying to to continue to be one of the key signal callers in all the leagues. So it's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow night, and it continues to be as we kind of navigate through this NFL postseason, Mr. Barton. Yeah, it really is. And, and let's start off, uh, you know, it's right fresh on our minds. Let's start off with that Ravens game that we just watched. Ravens, Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, I came in and anybody that would listen to me, I was screaming Ravens all week. I love the Ravens plus the seven when it came out. I didn't care if Lamar was playing or not. I like the Ravens plus the eight. I like them plus the eight and a half. I can kept t- taking them. I told you, you might even want to sprinkle something on the money line. I didn't give it to my clients. At TomBartonSports.com didn't get the money line. But Tom Barton sitting in a sports book had a little bit on the money line, right? I mean, I loved the Ravens. I loved the matchup. I looked at this defense as a defense that since Roquan Smith has been there is allowing 12 and a half points per game. They have been absolutely fantastic. And they have just frustrated Cincinnati now, now three games in a row. But that offense 
Cincinnati's offense just couldn't do anything against them. Okay, come out early on. Cincinnati moves up and down the field. And then all of a sudden, the Ravens did what we expect the Ravens to do. We're running effectively, doing things well. Um, that game was the Ravens to lose. That game, Tyler Huntley jumping over the, the top, getting it, the ball knocked out is a 14-point swing. It was a bad play call. It was a stupid situation. It was very fluky. It had uh, massive penalties on the return. There was a lot of things you can say. But that is the difference in this game. You can argue that they should have targeted uh, Mark Andrews more in the first half. I get it. J.K. Dobbins, I was screaming to Tim, um, J.K. Dobbins, I had the over for yards. He had that, but he had 53 yards on nine carries at the half and then basically didn't touch the ball until the fourth quarter. So there's a lot of blame to go around, but to me it was fluky. And when you start to break that game down, we can look at it from the Ravens' standpoint in a moment, but let's look at it from Cincinnati's standpoint because – I'm sitting in the sports book and I'm talking to everybody that was Cincinnati fans. I'm the only guy that, that was rooting for the Ravens with the, with the sports. And I'm sitting there talking to these guys and they all walked out angry at the performance. Susceptible. Oh boy, here we go. You know, the bills, the bills are going to be the, be able to capitalize where the Ravens were not able to. And I agree with that. The chiefs will be able to capitalize where the Ravens were not able to. And I agree with that. Oh, we got offensive line problems. We couldn't run the ball. I agree with that, and I agree with that, and I agree with everything they said. But, Chris, maybe I'm just looking at this. I have been down on Cincinnati. You guys know since last year. I've been down on Cincinnati because their offensive line is so bad. I thought the offensive line held up relatively well today before the injuries hit. I also looked at Cincinnati, and I said, you know, you guys, they haven't lost since, like, before Thanksgiving, right? And – You like to be on streaks like that, but you also don't want to get too full of yourself. They're led by a guy that has a lot of bravado. They are led by wide receivers that internally are just very much egotistical guys. And I think that there's a good chance that, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals need to get knocked down a peg. This might be good for them, Chris. It might be good for them that they came into this game and they were knocked down a peg a little bit. Now, they won the game, okay, but they were knocked down a peg a little bit. Tyler Huntley moved the ball in the second half against you. Uh, the key moments, if if the Baltimore Ravens didn't shoot themselves in the foot, Baltimore, Baltimore's moving on now. And it's a rallying cry for Zach Taylor. So I'm looking at Baltimore, the, the Cincinnati Bengals and I'm saying, I've been down on them all year. I don't think they're as good as Kansas City. I don't think they're as good as Buffalo. I don't think they're going to move on. I don't think their offensive line gives them the ability to continue to go to the Super Bowl and do things like that because their offensive line is just a a problem and it's been a problem for a while. But a game like this where everybody else is down on Cincy, I'm looking at Cincy, Chris, and I'm going, I think that this is a good thing for them to take on a division rival, have a hard-fought game, but walk out the victors. Am I looking at this too much with a who-day kind of colored glasses on or – is it a situation where, no, the Cincinnati Bengals need to be worried now? No, I don't think you're looking at it in a who-day colored glasses way at all. I think there's, you know, multiple things can be true in this situation. You can applaud the Cincinnati Bengals for grinding it out and getting a victory at home in a, and by the way, in kind of a dramatic fashion in, in, and still be able to kind of survive and move on, right? But you can also applaud Baltimore, too, with what they brought to the table. Because I can be quite honest with you, myself and a lot of other people did not expect the Baltimore Ravens to be this effective 
from an offensive standpoint in this football game. Now, look, you like what you got from a rushing standpoint, right? You're talking about over 150 yards from the likes of J.K. Dobbins and Huntley, as well as Gus Edwards, too, right? You like what what, what Tyler Huntley did with the passing game with respect to Mark Andrews, you know, Robinson and, and Dobbins as well, too, and even Oliver uh, through the air. What they were able to do from an offense standpoint, they were able to be right there on the doorstep to win this football game. But Tom and Barton, we cannot underestimate the importance and how big that play was in the fourth quarter. I mean, you just can't. It decided the football game, Tommy. Make no mistake about it. They're going in for a touchdown there. They ran a stat on the on the broadcast where they t- it was some company that does statistical breakdowns of percentages of whether or not a team's going to win or not. The percentages went from it was a 40% swing as to whether or not Cincinnati's going to win the football game at that point. If Baltimore goes in there and scores, they're basically like an 80% favorite to win the football game. There, because of what transpired, and of course Hubbard gets the, you know, it, it magically just ends up, the fumble gets smacked into his hands, and the guy rumbles 90-plus yards for a touchdown. It ends up, you know, flipping 40 points in the opposite direction for the Cincinnati Bengals to win this football game. And then we saw it played out, obviously, down the stretch of the football game where uh, it was kind of a bend, don't break for the Bengals defense. And it was, you know, and the Ravens still had an opportunity as they went down the field there late in the game to actually tie the football game. And then who knows what was going to happen. So there's no question that it was a uh, much more – competitive game than obviously the bookmakers thought it was going to be. You're talking about, you know, over a touchdown plus favorite that the Cincinnati Bengals were in this game. I took a little bit of bath on this game because I did lay the points with Cincinnati. But uh, when it came to the, I, I ended up making it up because I had the over in this football game. I thought there was going to be more points scored than, the, you know, the obviously relatively low total at 40 that the number was at. But uh, yeah, I was surprised to be quite honest with you that since that the Baltimore Ravens, made this as close of a game as it was, given that you did not have your guy, Lamar Jackson, at the helm, at the controls, running the show for the Baltimore Ravens. And, look, all due respect to Tyler Huntley, and he played decent. I uh, didn't have a you know, spectacular game from a statistical standpoint, but he was okay, and he didn't make too many mistakes. He had the one pick, whatever, but it's it, he was not the reason that the Baltimore Ravens fell short in this game. He fell, they fell short because of a crazy play in the fourth quarter and also because the Cincinnati Bengals flat out are just a better football team than Baltimore was. And they that's why they ended up with the W, and they're going to move on now and have a much tougher task of beating a Buffalo Bills team up there in upstate New York. What about Joe Burrow? Everybody is, is always heaping nothing but praise on Joe Burrow. And I heard a, a rival uh, sports talk show talking about him saying he's better than Josh Allen. We need to start giving him credit that he's the best quarterback in the league. Um, many people are starting to to want to put him up there against Mahomes. Look at what he can do. And I look at it and I go, he's now played the Ravens three times. He is averaging about 213 yards in three games. He's never gotten even 220. 209 yards and just one touchdown off of 32 attempts today. Chris, he was dinking and dunking. I know that Jamar Chase dropped two big play, passes, but I'm looking at Joe Burrow, and, and I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing the guy that his coach absolutely has to have. I'm not seeing the, you know, we're going to live or die by you. 
and you are everything. And maybe that's a good thing for Cincinnati. But I'm not seeing a Joe Burrow. Look, I think he's good. I think he's very good, okay? I don't think we could put him up there with Mahomes yet. I don't think you put him up there with even Josh Allen yet as far as what he means to his team. He's not Rodgers. He's not Brady. He's not there yet. Now, he's got the success. He brought his team last year, and he had a good playoff series. But a game like this, where you're getting short fields the entire day, which they were, where you're getting fumbles, you're getting things like that, it's not a fluke here. He cannot move the ball against the Baltimore Ravens. Three single, three games, not a single one of them, he threw for 220 yards. Not a single one of them did he throw for more than one touchdown. Is there concerns with Joe Burrow as he moves on facing better defenses? I mean, if he's got to go to the Super Bowl and face the San Francisco 49ers, I don't like his chances. I don't like his chances. I mean, obviously, hey, you go to the Super Bowl, that's great. I don't like his chances even against a, a not-so-great Buffalo defense. I don't love his chances even against Kansas City who have been playing good defense or Jacksonville. I mean, I start to look at Joe Burrow's game, and I see what the Ravens have been able to do to him. It's a copycat league. I'm a little concerned if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, I can understand your sentiment there. I, I don't know if concern necessarily would be the correct way to describe it because the especially if, you, if, you, if you're talking to Cincinnati Bengals fans, right, and your people in that area that support that team and, and their thoughts regarding Joe Burrow and even fans of Joe Burrow around the league, right, that think, you know, they're, they're going to throw out – they're going to toss at you, Tommy, uh, when, when, you, when, you, when you use the word concern, they say, well, what about the last two years? The guy's had two career years this year. What, tied for second, I think, in the NFL with 35 touchdown passes. He had, you know, over 40, over almost 4,500 yards passing. And it's two years in a row where he's been basically at, franchise, at uh, outstanding numbers. And so that's the kind of the it's, – it's more the perception, really, Tommy, I guess, of, of Joe Burrow. I would agree with you. I don't think he's up there. With the likes of Josh, uh, with Josh Allen, and 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 Pat Mahomes, without and, and question without question, but I do think he's in the territory of Justin Herbert and 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 some of these other younger court. Oh and, yeah, and the Trevor Lawrence's and around there. I think there's kind of a second tier, in my personal opinion, that's where Joe Burrow sits. But yeah, you, you make a valid point regarding concern when it comes to the playoffs, and there's no getting around it. They are going to be facing tougher competition because they're going play Cincinnati, a team that is, you know, uh, excuse me, they're going to play Buffalo, a team that's, you know, basically the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl out of the AFC. And so there's there's no way of getting around the fact that he's going to have to beat better competition to, uh, to, to get it done. Now, look, they went to the Super Bowl a year ago. So uh, right now they're defending AFC champions. So Joe Burrow is kind of uh, probably, probably smiling at all of us and kind of, you know, has that you know what, Eaton grin on his face is if we talk about his prospects as a quarterback in the NFL and about where he where he actually ranks on the totem bowl that is quarterbacks in the NFL. But there's no make no mistake about it, Tommy. You're right. He's going to have to uh, show results when it comes to the postseason and beat teams that uh, that are that are absolutely uh, better than him it's for him to get the uh, the credit as far as being you know, possibly a top two or three quarterback when it comes to the NFL. What about the other side here? Before we move on and look at next week, what about the other side here, Chris? Um, the Baltimore Ravens, you know, Harbaugh is always going to have them playing tough. I thought that there were some questionable offensive play calls in this one. Um, I, I was texting back and forth with Tim. 
we were texting almost the same thing about many offensive play calls. I mentioned the Dobbins situation. All year, they have forgotten about Mark Andrews early on. Uh, Isaiah likely didn't get a single target in this game. There's a lot to question about that. And then you have the idea about Lamar Jackson. You could say, well, they're playing with a backup to a backup. But isn't that always going to be the worry with Lamar? Lamar wasn't even with the team today. And we have people in the media, whether you agree with them or not, speculating on the idea that if Lamar Jackson wanted to play, he would have played. If he had a contract, he would have played today. Before the year began, I said to Tim, um, the day after the Super Bowl, I always take a team. And I took the Baltimore Ravens at 25 to 1 odds. And I said to him, oh, man, I feel good about this. Once the summer hit and Lamar didn't have a contract, we were on the air and I said, Tim, I don't love it anymore. I don't love my bet because I don't know if he's going to take that extra blade of grass. I don't know if he's going to you know, die for that extra yard if he doesn't have a contract. Well, some of that might be coming true now. Now, I know Harbaugh got asked about it. He got a little snippy. I'm asking you about the Ravens, though. You know you have a defense that can win probably a championship. You know you have a running game that's going to be back and healthy next year. Edwards and Dobbins back and healthy next year. They certainly have the tight ends, double tight ends. They have a good coach. They have everything in place. Maybe they need a wide receiver, but they have everything in place. But the question will always be about Lamar. Lamar might play 16 games next year and then miss the playoffs again. So how much do do the Ravens have to look at Lamar this year? I'm sure they're going to franchise him. But how much do they look at Lamar Jackson and say, you know, we could just never count on you, and we can't give you the contract that you want. Well, the whole thing with Baltimore and Lamar Jackson is very interesting, Tommy. And look, I, like you, have been submerged in a lot of sports media this week and a lot of discussions surrounding this team and Lamar Jackson. And there's a lot of people that are a lot closer to Baltimore that know more than you and I with respect to this team and what the approach is regarding him that think it's over. They think it's all over and done with. They think that Lamar Jackson has no relationship right now with the Baltimore Ravens and that there's going to be some type of situation that transpires in which he's no longer a Raven next year. I don't know how that's good. they go about doing that. I don't know if they sign him, uh, if they franchise tag him or they sign him and then and then trade him or or, or what happens. But the the idea from a, a, a lot of pro, a couple of prominent media members in the Baltimore area that cover the National Football League are already saying right now that if you want to put a percentage on it as to whether or not Lamar Jackson's back in Baltimore, it's under 10%. That's, that's the way they feel. So, you know, you know, when you're talking about what their prospects are for next year, you're talking about, you know, the pieces they have now and the pieces they may get in the draft or, or, or what their approach is going to be next season, even with, you know, John Harbaugh as the head coach there. Uh, To me, everything, everything that, you know, that stops and starts with the Baltimore Ravens, it's with Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, right now. So if they're going to make a change and go away from him, then then everything changes, right? I mean, it's it, I, mean, I proposed this. I talked about this on Twitter a couple of days ago. I, I was kind of threw it out tongue-in-cheek. You know, the Chicago Bears trade, uh, you know, uh, not the number one pick overall, but do they, do they trade uh, Justin Fields, right, for – uh, maybe maybe a package of picks or whatever and to get Lamar Jackson or they try to work something. Are, are there other teams at the top of the draft, i.e. the Detroit Lions, that maybe would want to take would love to have the services of Lamar Jackson on their team and are willing to part ways with draft picks? Uh, to me, this is the essence of it in that I don't think, and I agree, I happen to kind of agree with the people, the, the, the and I'll call them football experts there in Baltimore, 
that don't think Lamar Jackson is part of the future plans of the Baltimore Ravens. And despite the fact, and what's ironic about that, Tommy, you know what's ironic about that? Is that this is a franchise and an offense and a team that has basically set itself up around Lamar Jackson to succeed, right? I mean, they built the team around him in his essence, trying to, you know, uh, trying to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl by utilizing his skill set. And, and they've added pieces to do that. So to me, it was kind of surprising when I did hear that. But I uh, look, if it, look, if everything's different, if everything is completely opposite of what I just talked about and he ends up back on the on the team. Yeah, they're going to have they're going to still have to make some type of of personnel changes in a way where they can say where they can have a legitimate shot. Right, Tommy, where they're actually contenders against the likes of the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And now maybe it looks like the Jacksonville Jaguars and others in the AFC, because if they don't, they're going to end up like also Rams. And me as a Detroit Lions fan, I know all about also Rams and even less than also Rams, teams that are just awful. And so, you know, yeah, they're going to be they're going to end up being in the on the uh, the trash heap of mediocrity in the NFL if they don't end up adding pieces, if they do decide to keep Lamar Jackson there in the mix with the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I I think it's going to be really interesting because Baltimore is in a win-now mode. They just gave $100 million to Roquan Smith. (laughs) You know, it's time for them to to get past the first round and really start to do something in a AFC that looks like it's getting further away from them. Um, Here's what we're going to do. Let's take a quick timeout, Chris. When we come back, we'll talk about the other games today. We're talking about the AFC. Let's go talk about Buffalo, who got their certain scare today as well against a backup to a quarterback and a backup to a backup. We'll talk about Buffalo. We'll get into the Giants-Vikings game. And in our number two, guys, I have the Lions for next week. We'll talk about that. And Brady versus the Cowboys tomorrow night. All that and more right here on Heat Wave Sports. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back to the Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports. Tom Barton here, TomBartonSports.com with Chris Wynn. Tim Unglesby is going to try to call in. He's gotten some some really nasty, nasty weather by him, so we're hoping that uh, he gives us a call in a little while. We're talking wild card weekend. Tom Barton Sports, I hit Jacksonville for all of my members, and I gave out uh, the Baltimore Ravens as my biggest play of the weekend. I gave it out for free at the Believe Podcast Network. You can go check out my show there. Uh, Believe in Betting on the Believe Podcast Network. Also, Believe in the Ivy League is there as well. Sports Garden Production. I gave that out. I, and I'm 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 loving these underdogs. Chris, we have had underdogs since the San Francisco game. And we have had five overs. Lots and lots of offense. You said you got the over. You must have got it at 40 and a half. I know a lot of people got it at 41. Um, and that was tonight. But I'm counting it as an over. I'm, I'm saying five overs in a row which is just unheard of especially in the playoffs so we'll see how that kind of continues let's go into buffalo though we're talking about cincinnati which just automatically means we have to talk about buffalo almost everything that i said about cincinnati you can sort of apply to buffalo but not really and let me explain the the miami dolphins have now played the buffalo bills three times this year they won one by a field goal. They lost one by less than a field goal. And they lost one again today by less than a field goal. 
Skylar Thompson was not there. They were missing offensive line. I mean, Skylar Thompson was in there. Tua was not there. They were missing offensive linemen, sure. They um, were missing Raheem Mostert, their starting running back. Tyreek Hill made some huge drops today. Jalen Waddell made some huge drops today. And let's be honest, the only reason Miami was even in this thing was because Buffalo shot themselves in the foot. Sounds familiar like Cincinnati, right? Except where I thought walking out of the Cincinnati game, while everybody was bashing on Cincinnati, I sat there and like I told you guys last segment, I said, you know, I think this might be good for them. I think it might be good for them to kind of get the this monkey off of their back, get it off their shoulders that, oh, we, 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 we have the swagger, we can't be beat. I think it might have been good for them. What happened in Buffalo today I think is very bad for Buffalo. And let me explain why. Yeah, it's a di- division rival. Yes, it is, okay? But Miami is not known as that hard-hitting, let's-play-close team. No, they are a throw-it-all-over-the-place air it out and try to take advantage of a secondary secondary for the bills. that is supposed to be very good. Well, the Baltimore Ravens will not face. I'm sorry. The Cincinnati Bengals are not going to face another team in the playoffs. Like the Ravens, Kansas City's not like that. They throw Buffalo's not like that. They throw. Whereas the Miami dolphins are a smaller and less effective version of the throw all day Cincinnati Bengals and the throw all day and night Kansas city chiefs. I'm worried about Buffalo. Now I get it. There was a lot of mistakes. Josh Allen had two interceptions. Both of them were kind of just bad luck, bad situations. I'm not going to blame it all on him. But I didn't walk out of there in a good a good way. They were at home. They had all of the emotion, obviously. They lost the lead, a 17-0 lead that they built up. I walked out of Cincinnati saying this might be good for them to get that toughness and come out with a hard-fought win. I looked at the Buffalo game, and I walked out of the Buffalo game going, uh-oh, Buffalo's in trouble. Buffalo secondary's in trouble. Skylar Thompson could throw on them. Uh, this is not good for what they're going to have to go face in Burrow or maybe Mahomes. This is not a good situation. Chris, what did you walk out of that game thinking? So this was a game in which you had 65 points, Tommy scored, right? But it was still a sloppy game, right? It was a lengthy saga. You're talking about a game that lasted almost four hours. You knew it was going to be close, right, Tommy? Make no mistake about it, right? These two teams – that split their regular season series and games that were decided by a combined five points when you had Miami winning against Buffalo down in Miami by two points, and then you had the Bills, you know, rallying to beat Miami last month in that 32-29 game. So you knew it was going to be tight. But there was a lot of sphincters tightening all over Buffalo, my friend, back there in the third quarter when, you know, the the Buffalo Bills had that lead. And then, of course, you got you talked about the miscues, right, from Josh Allen. That Allen fumble was returned uh, for a touchdown by Zach Siler, you know, 61 seconds into the third quarter. And the Dolphins had that 24-20 to 20 lead. I was on a text with a number of Buffalo <laughs> Bills fans, Tommy, that were already up in arms saying, you have to be kidding me. This cannot be happening. They were all, the sky is falling, having flashbacks to the Super Bowl losses and, you know, all the teams that never made it and, not even to the Super Bowl or much less won the Super Bowl, which they haven't been able to do. They were already up in arms sweating this out. And then, of course, you saw what Josh Allen was able to do. He throws two touchdown passes in a span of, what, three minutes and 11 seconds with Cole Beasley getting that uh, go-ahead touchdown on that six-yard catch. And then uh, Gabe, Gabe, Gabe Davis extending the lead to 10 with his touchdown catch. 
And then it was uh, then you knew that Miami, look, it was a, a valiant effort, but they're going to have to try to claw their way back. But, Tommy, I got to get your thoughts on McDaniel, the coach, and the decisions late in this football game. What are you doing? Just like burning timeout after timeout because you your offense can't get it together. It's like a Tommy Barton copyrighted dumpster fire. Every time they go to the line, there's like three seconds left on the on the clock, and they have to, you know, you know what I mean? And using timeout after timeout, and it ends up costing them in this football game because they went, you know, down at the end of the game, they had they had numerous they had a chance to actually, you know, to actually win this football game or to or to or to, to, to drive down and actually tie it. And it ends up costing because they have no timeouts and no time. And of course, you saw what happened with the, with the fourth down play. But uh, your thoughts on on McDaniel as far as time management late in this football game, Mr. Tom Barton? People think I'm nuts, Chris. I've been saying I don't think Josh. I, I don't think Josh McDaniel. Well, the the Freudian slip, right? I don't think right. McDaniel is a, is a head coach or head coach material. I've been saying it for a while. He has coordinator written all over him and. This was his first real test. Look, let's give it for, first off. Okay, let me back up a little bit. For all you Miami fans are going to flip out. <laughs> Got to give him a lot of credit. He didn't have yeah. a starting running back. Like I mentioned, didn't have a starting quarterback. Was going into Buffalo, a team that's favored to win the Super Bowl. And he played real close, real well. I get it. But in the end, crunch time, at the end of the game, we watched him spiral out of control. We, we watched, you mentioned it. The use of timeouts, the play calling, the way that that game went at the end of the game, what is going on is all anybody could say. Again, I'm sitting in a room with with hundreds of people and everyone's kind of the collective, you know, from the naked gun, everyone's slapping their head at the same time. The moves that he's making, it's not second guessing, it's first guessing. I, I think that, you know, McDaniel is a guy that he's a brilliant mind, but oftentimes that brilliant mind can't handle pressure, can't handle situations, needs things to to kind of happen the way that that he wants to have them happen. Um, it reminds me of Brandon Staley who's going to be looking for a job, right? And I've been talking about Brandon Staley since the day he got hired that he should not be a, a, a head coach. I think that we're in a generation here, not to, to broaden this, but I will. I think we're in a generation here, Tim. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris, where you look at the the – coaches that are being hired, and their assistants. And we look at it and we go, wow, he's a great assistant. He could really play call. And that's supposed to be enough. And it's not. McDaniel showed uh, the vulnerability. Now, he's a young coach. He didn't have his quarterback. He was on the road. He had everything up against him. So maybe this is a blip on the screen. Maybe this is okay. No big deal. Um, For anybody that doesn't think that happened, remember, Belichick against Peyton Manning decided to go for it on fourth down in his own territory. Remember that way back when? And people were going, what? what's going on with Belichick? This, this guy can't coach. Well, okay. <laughs> Years later and lots of rings later, we found out that that was just a blip on the radar. So maybe that's what McDaniels is. But I look, I don't like it. I didn't like the play calling throughout the game at key moments. I thought he did a brilliant job for most of the game. But the key moments... And one one of them was at the end of the half, even. And you go, what are you doing? Wait, what's what's going on right now? You said it. That was an undoing. Um, but I, this, to me, this was less about Miami not doing, and all about Buffalo playing down to the competition. Which, by the way, we've watched happen last year against Urban Meyer. 
This offense could do nothing. You remember that Buffalo lost last year against Urban Meyer and the Jaguars. They have a tendency to play down to their competition. This was one of those games where they played down to their competition. And you could also say, too, that this Buffalo Bills defense was a monster part. And look, this is me being Captain Obvious right now. But, uh, you know, Buffalo defense ends up forcing six punts and, uh, you know, two, two turnovers. And they stop Miami as they turn the ball over on downs on that final possession. But you're, you're talking about, you know, a, a, a Buffalo team that was uh, that was instrumental in this football game from a defensive standpoint. But Josh Allen, look, he was a stat stuffer when it came to when it came to across the uh, putting stats up all over the place as far as passing yards and, and TDs, but also those two interceptions, which, by the way, led to the Dolphins scoring 11 points. So all those people out there that laid those double-digit points for the for the Buffalo Bills in this ball game, uh, not, not too happy that the fact that the Miami Dolphins were able to score double-digit points thanks to interceptions thrown by Josh Allen, Tommy. So let's take a look ahead here, Chris. Um, we have, we have uh, the game is basically out there, <laughs> right? I mean, well, we are starting to see the early numbers come in on what, what it's going to be for next weekend. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, can they recover? Can they kind of collectively pull themselves together and, and make this work? The Cincinnati Bengals, can they do the same? I, I think that we, we, <laughs> we got to ask that question. They're playing on Sunday. The line is out, Chris. Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock uh, East Coast time, noon in Las Vegas. The Bills open up as a five-point favorite. Now, it opened at a five-point five favorite, quickly was bet down to four and a half. Over-under is set at 51. My initial thought, look, I, I, I want Buffalo to win. I like Buffalo. I root for Buffalo. Josh Allen's been on my fantasy teams. I like it. My initial thought is that Buffalo, in this spot, shouldn't be laying more than a field goal to anyone right now. Not the way that I'm watching this team. And you have the Bengals coming in, who, again, I, I think got a pretty good situation. I have been anti the Bengals for two years. I have been all over the Bills bandwagon. And I'm looking at the four and a half, and I'm going, it's going to be hard not to take the Bengals plus a four and a half. Yeah, obviously, this is a uh, rematch of what was supposed to take place three weeks ago when you had the uh, the game canceled, of course, because of the DeMar Hanlon situation going into cardiac arrest on the field. And uh, it's a great story, obviously, that Hamlin's recovering and actually watched Sunday's game at home. I don't know what the uh, scenario or what the logistics will be as far as, Dar you know, DeMar Hamlin actually may be attending the game coming up this week. But uh, I I'm sure that's something that would just absolutely amp up not only the crowd, but, of course, the Buffalo Bills themselves. But we didn't get a chance, really, to get kind of a gauge as far as these two teams on the football field together playing in a competitive game. So we don't, we don't really know, uh, you know, we're not, we, we can't even draw, we can't draw from that history. That being said, it's two teams, right? That uh, both teams that are essentially survived and advanced this week here in the wild card round that will be playing each other next week. What do you do? Well, me, I tend to go to the default. I tend to go to the default that it was the Buffalo Bills that were the Super Bowl favorites out of the AFC this year coming into this season. And they've shown in, in most spots throughout the year, that they are the team that deserves to be there. Yes, the Cincinnati Bengals deserve respect. They are the defending AFC champions, and they are one of the best teams in the AFC. But they are going on the road in a hostile environment, coming off uh, you know, a squeaker win at home against the likes of a, a Baltimore Ravens team that was banged up and uh, didn't have key pieces on the field. And so, therefore, you know, I would – but at the same time, I would tend to agree with your take, Tommy, in that you think that it's a field goal 
is they shouldn't be giving more of field goal, the Buffalo Bills, to anybody in the spot. I would absolutely tend to agree with you. But on the same token, I would also lay that three points plus. I, I, I think that the Buffalo Bills absolutely are the play here in this situation. And uh, from a gambling standpoint and just from a football standpoint, I think that Buffalo is going to be highly motivated to look to kind of uh, rebound from a game that was, in their minds, make no quite, make make no mistake about it, you know, in their minds, they're like, that game was way too close to the Dolphins. We shouldn't have been that close. We should have won by a bigger margin. And we need to go out there and establish ourselves. And we need to kind of right the ship in a way against the Cincinnati Bengals. And, uh, and we'll get a chance to do it, obviously, in the divisional round of the playoffs. So I think that... Uh, you know, the number, if it is floating, I, I, like you said, you have, you have the number. Uh, if it's floating around a field goal, I think that's legitimate. And I think that I would probably take a hard look at the Buffalo Bills in that situation. Chris, what about the total? Uh, opens at 50, went up to 51 and a half in some books. You can still get it at 50, 50 and a half, but it's 51 and a half in some books. The world wants a shootout. The world wants Burrow against Allen. Sunday afternoon, we want to see Burrow against Allen. We want to see 300 yards plus from both of them. We want to see Diggs against Chase. We want to see it all. We want to see it all. That sometimes doesn't happen, right? I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals yeah. defense has actually allowed 18 points per game over the last uh, five weeks of the season. Buffalo has to be better than what they are against Miami. And Buffalo's defense is normally much better than what we've seen. Um I'm hesitant to lay the over here. I don't think I could take the under just because, uh, I mean, conventional wisdom says that these two guys are going to have a good game. I don't think I could take the under, um, but I certainly can't go near the over because I know it's playoff football. It's going to be in Buffalo. We don't know what the weather's like, and the number's already going up to 51 and a half. The world's going to be on the over. What's your take? Yeah, you made solid points there regarding this. And, of course, the weather is a wild card, you know, no pun intended, with respect to this total and these two teams. Defensively, you're talking about two quality defensive teams. So uh, I would be someone who, if I'm going to talk about this, and I don't want to sound like I'm some professional handicapper, I'm not. But to me, it's a uh, no play or an over for me. I think that there, there's a better chance, in my opinion, that they do go out there and score some points as opposed to not. And that number sitting at right, Tommy. You know the deal. That number sitting right there at fifty. Come on now, like it's a, a, like uh, like you saw this weekend. I mean, number a number of games going, you know, floating into the sixties. So I mean, that if, if that number sitting right around fifty, I would be highly hesitant. I would be it, it'd be extremely difficult. Let me use every single adjective that I can put, uh, you know, on, on the table here, Mister Tommy Barton, with respect to taking the under in this game. There's no way I would do it if I'm going to bet it, which I'm probably not. I'm definitely going to be taking a look at both of these teams putting up a few touchdowns each, at least, and uh, and this being you know one of those at least you know 27 you know 30 to 27 type games or you know 31 to 28 type football games. I, I just see it coming a mile away. Even if even if it, even if there's you know some snow on the ground. And, uh, you know, there's not some, you know, outrageously crazy weather circumstances that take place. You got a bunch of wind blowing around, Tommy, or you got, you know, uh, just, you know, snow and ice conditions that are just deplorable. I think that it absolutely is going to be a situation where both these teams can score some points. Well, you ask for the 10-day forecast. I deliver. There's not supposed to be any snow in the forecast. It's actually supposed to be <laughs> a, a relatively nice day. 
Uh, it's actually supposed to be 34 degrees. Sun is shining. Now, I will say this. Look, we're a week out, okay? It is supposed yeah. to snow in Buffalo Wednesday, rain Thursday, snow Friday, and snow Monday. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, <laughs> this can change. This can certainly change. If I'm looking at the weather and I'm going, rain Tuesday, snow Wednesday, rain Thursday, snow Friday, snow Monday. We got we got a sunny sky and 34 degrees for a perfect day at Orchard Park uh, on Sunday. Yeah. I Meteorologist mean, Tom Barton laying it out yeah. in line for you folks out there as far as these two AFC teams getting ready to take <laughs> out each other up there in Buffalo. It's just, it's, hey, I mean, it's, uh, look, it's already been a crazy year for the Bills anyway when it comes to weather, right, Tommy? I mean, they played, you know, they're playing, you're, you're talking about playing games in Detroit as home games because of, uh, you know, nor'easters and, and, and crazy blizzards that are going on up there. So I, it's not, I'm not going to put it past any, 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 stretch of the imagination that 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 weather could somehow come into play and affect this and of course uh you know as well as anybody you know if it, if, if it does come into play and you start seeing that it's going to affect what what uh, las vegas atlantic city and every expanse across the country has when it comes to the gaming numbers yeah it certainly will i gotta tell you I, i'm looking at that game and i'm going I just want to watch as a fan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, uh, look, last week I told you guys live on the air that I liked every under and then I didn't play a single, you know, a single. Well, I didn't lose a single one of them. I pushed on the one, but I only played yeah. one, uh, you know, so things do change. But right now, our initial look, I'm going, man, that's just a fan type of game. All right, Chris, look, we got to take a quick time out. Um, guys, if you want all my plays, go to TomBartonSports.com. It's TomBartonSports.com. Literally less than $200 for 30 full days. So if you jumped on today, okay, you're going to get all of the rest of the NFL playoffs, which includes every prop play that I give, which includes the Super Bowl at TomBartonSports.com, which also includes all my Super Bowl prop plays at TomBartonSports.com. But that's not all. You also get all my college basketball plays where you could go look this up. I'm hitting 68% this year. You also get my NHL plays. You also get my NBA plays. Every single thing I do, there's no upselling. There's no commission. There's no extra fees. It is just TomBartonSports.com. You go there. You get the winners. Uh, like I said, look, pretty good weekend so far in the NFL for me. One with the Jags, one with Baltimore. Told people you could sprinkle on the money line, but uh, I did not tell my clients. That, right? you got to be smart when you're betting. And look, I had two plays today. That's all I had. I've had three plays this weekend. So uh, you go to TomBartonSports.com. You're going to get a, about a play a day. Uh, but we're not going to overload you with volume. You're not going to get 15 plays. I'm not going to sit back. Hey, guys, look, I won 20 plays today, but I played 50 games. No, no, no. Even on a crazy Saturday uh, where there's 130-plus college basketball games, I'm only playing, you know, usually three or four college basketball games. So it's TomBartonSports.com, TomBartonSports.com. All right, Chris, let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, we still have to talk about Tom Brady in Dallas. I want to get your take on the NFC which right now, in a weird spot, yeah, the Eagles are the number one seed. I think that San Francisco would be the favorite against Philadelphia if they played right now. That's something that I, I see the groundswell of San Francisco coming, so we'll talk about that. But what about the Giants in Minnesota? Can the Giants upset the apple cart? Here we go. Another division rival. It looks like they might be facing uh, Philadelphia, and that number has come out as well. So we'll talk about all that and more. Hour number two, Heat Wave Sports coming back right after this. 
Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys. Hour number two, Heatwave Sports. I'll tell you what, guys. I, I, I am just still reeling from the absolutely incredible, incredible day we had today. All the underdogs covered. All the underdogs played close. But Chris, only one underdog actually won. And I was almost shocked that they were an underdog. I didn't touch this game. I went nowhere near it. I didn't have a prop in this game. I did nothing but watch this. Because all we heard for probably three or four months now was that Minnesota was fraudulent, right? I'm somebody I gave Minnesota Vikings team total over before the year because I thought their schedule was a joke. They did win 13 games, though. Now, 11 of those games came by one score, as we knew. Kirk Cousins, oh, he's going to choke. But they still had Jefferson. They still had Cook. I didn't know what to make of this team. Now, I knew that Brian Dable was a really good coach, and I knew that Saquon was going to have a good game. How much did I believe in Daniel Jones? Well, I'm not sure. They go out there, the Giants, and they play a game that you knew that the Giants wanted to play. Now, it was a little bit more high scoring than I think that they wanted. This was the kind of game. Play close at the end. Put the at, No matter how well he played, put the pressure on Kirk Cousins, put the pressure on a new coach in Minnesota, put the pressure on those players, and we don't have pressure. Let us outcoach ourselves. And I think that that's how they won the game. Look, Daniel Jones is going to get a lot of the accolades, and Daniel Jones looks great with Brian Dable leading the way. Okay, Remember, this is the guy that made Josh Allen a big running threat. Daniel Jones has the mobility. I like what I saw on that, especially with the lack, just pure lack of talent. Minnesota is one of the more talented teams in the league. The Giants are one of the least talented, but they're just really well coached. But when, once that got into the fourth quarter and it was a close game, and then the Giants took the lead, I don't think there was a person alive that believed Minnesota was mentally capable of coming back in that game. That was the, the last possession. You think about it. The last possession, not only did they throw on fourth down – Needing eight yards, they threw a, a three-yard out, okay, which is just always drives me nuts. Not only that, to end their season, by the way, on those four plays, they didn't even look to Justin Jefferson once. They didn't take a shot downfield. They didn't try to force the issue. Everyone's going to blame Kirk Cousins. Say, I thought Kirk Cousins had a perfectly fine game. Kirk Cousins may have fallen apart at the end, but I thought he had a fine game. I think this is just – I don't even think that it was a bad coaching job by Minnesota – I think this was just a superior coaching job by Brian Dable, Brian Dable's staff, and taking what he has in Daniel Jones, taking what he has in the offensive limitations, and just putting on a masterclass of this is how you win games in the playoffs. The Giants were built for the playoffs. Daniel Jones seems like he was comfortable in the playoffs, and that's all back to Brian Dable. There's no mistake that Brian Dable had this upstart team ready and prepared, Tommy, against Minnesota here. This was a game you said you didn't have action. Well, I did. I had Minnesota, and I gave the three points, and I was feeling fairly confident that uh, this was going to be a Minnesota team that was going to defy all the doubters and the skeptics, Mr. Barton, when it came to this Vikings franchise and Kirk Cousins as a big-game postseason quarterback. It was not to be, my friend. This New York Giants team went out there. You saw two touchdowns from Saquon Barkley, including the tiebreaker there midway through the fourth quarter. You saw Daniel Jones, Mr. Barton, become the first quarterback in NFL history 
to hit these thresholds in a postseason game. 300-plus passing yards, two-plus passing touchdowns. The guy was running all over the place on the ground with 70-plus yards rushing as well, too. First player ever quarterback in NFL history to do that. And you had a defense that ended up finishing this off, right? I mean, this was absolutely – and, you know, uh, you got to give credit to that New York Giants defense being able to essentially shut down the Minnesota Vikings there at the end of the game, try to go down and swarming T.J. Hawkinson there at midfield, you know, after that three-yard reception from Kirk Cousins on that fourth and eight, essentially forced the turnover downs and giving the Giants the win in this one. This is a Giants team. Look, they're 9-7-1 and one during the regular season. Not a lot of people giving them respect as an NFC team that was really going to make a dent, right? Everybody was talking about, the, you know, their their in division rival in the Philadelphia Eagles. Everybody talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Everybody talking about the San Francisco 49ers. Nobody paying attention to the New York Giants. And credit to Brian Dable and this team and what they were able to do. You were getting contributions from Darius Slayton. You were getting contributions, you know, from from other key guys as well too that uh, that were absolutely important for this team. And uh, look, I mean, it was a, a situation where there's no question that the uh, the Giants went in there kind of with not much, in, in my personal opinion, not really much to lose because they weren't expected to win. And it was able to let them play loose a little bit and uh, and go in there and, and, and get things done and get a victory over Minnesota. But, Tommy, I got to tell you, you know the chatter is already starting again with respect to Kirk Cousins. I don't care how much money he makes. I don't care what he does during the regular season. You know the haters, the doubters are already out in force, ready to jump on Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings for what transpired here today. My question is why? I, I mean, I'm being honest here. My, my question because, is honest. Because he hasn't won big games in the playoffs, right? He hasn't been able to get – this is a Minnesota team, right, that has had expectations for the last couple of years. And that's that's a big reason why, Tommy. Is that I'm not he saying that get it done when it comes to the postseason, Chris. I'm not saying that 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 it's not happening. I'm asking the the rhetorical question of a guy goes 31 of 39, 31 yep. of 39. He missed eight passes. By the way, Jefferson dropped one, but 31 of 39, 273, two touchdowns, averaging seven yards per pass. He puts up 24 points against a defense that has been really good. This wasn't Kirk Cousins. This was not Kirk Cousins. Now, again, like you said, it's going to fall on him. The axe always falls on the quarterback, just as does the accolades. I get it. This was not a Kirk Cousins problem. This was the fact that the Minnesota Vikings came into this game with the number 31st ranked defense in the league. They were negative turnover differential on the season. And they gave up 31 points in a playoff game at home. You gave up 31 points in a playoff game at home to Daniel Jones. That's the problem. Daniel Jones ripped you for 300 yards and two touchdowns. That's the problem. Daniel Jones ran for 78 yards and he rushed 17 times. That's the problem. This was not a Kirk Cousins loss. Now it's going to go in his ledger as a loss. Kirk Cousins didn't throw an interception today. Kirk Cousins had a, not only a, a, a solid day, Kirk Cousins had a really good day as far as throwing the football today. And he did everything he could to put his team in a position to win. You mentioned it. Kirk Cousins is always going to get a little bit more scrutiny 
um, because look, he makes a lot of money, and he's not an elite quarterback. He sh- he shouldn't be making the money. It, again, I'm putting words in fans' mouths, but he shouldn't be making the money for his talent level. That's how they feel. But you can't turn around and tell me that Kirk Cousins played a bad game. Kirk Cousins actually played a better game than Joe Burrow, than Tyler Huntley, than Skylar Thompson, than Josh Allen. He played a better game than everybody except the quarterback he was going up against in Daniel Jones. He played a great game. Listen, he played a better game than Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. He played a better game than, than, than them. So Kirk Cousins is not advancing. And Kirk Cousins will get a lot of flack from Minnesota fans because they want to throw it on somebody. Kirk Cousins had a good game today. Not a good game. He had a really good playoff game. And it's a shame that we would be talking about Kirk Cousins here after that. I don't know how much more he could have done today. And guys, speaking of guys that had big games, right, Tommy? Isaiah Hodgkins, how about a game for him, right? Over 100 yards receiving, eight catches on the day. Look, I would venture to say, a lot, the, the average Joe and the average Jane football fans out there don't even know who Isaiah Hodgins is, right? I mean, he's, he's a guy who's been in the league, I think, for three years out of Oregon State. Not exactly, you know, a marquee guy, unless you've had him on your fantasy football team or whatever. He's not, you know, when you think about the name guys that are there for the New York Giants, he was uh, pretty impressive today and uh, kind of elevated himself when it comes to, uh, you know, on, on the forefront of NFL fans' minds. Uh, with with the game that he had today, along with with Saquon Barkley, but how about Saquon Barkley too, Tommy? Uh, what what he was able to do, uh, not only from a rushing standpoint, from a receiving standpoint as well too, as uh, he was equally effective catching balls uh, in the air as well as rushing the football. Well, let, let let's talk about this Giants team, right? It's a Giants mm-hmm. team that okay, look, I think we know it's a very well coached team. Daniel Jones is blossoming into. A star. He really is. Barkley is always a threat. But I still think they're very, very limited, Chris. Uh, you know, they're limited. You can talk about Hodges. You can talk about Bellinger. They're limited in the passing game. And defensively, we talked about Minnesota's defense. Well, the Giants' defense was, uh, to me, you could run all over them, and that was going to be their Achilles heel. The Giants' defense was exposed by Philly a couple of weeks ago. The Giants' defense ranked 28th against the run. Now, I know that that – You know, Dexter Lawrence in the middle has missed a lot of time, so maybe those numbers aren't as bad. But they're still definitely in the bottom half of the league. Now they go on to take a Philadelphia team. The opening line is 7.5 for Philly. Philly's a team that runs the ball all day, every day. Okay, that's what they want to do. Now, we could look at Jalen Hurts, and he's going to get MVP credit, and he's going to be the guy you look at, you go in, you think about Brown, you think about Smith, and yeah, they are absolutely important to this team. But Philly wants to run, run, run. And Philly wants to run with their quarterback. The Giants didn't have to face that in Kirk Cousins. I just asked the you know, rhetorical question, what else could Kirk Cousins have done? Well, maybe run the ball, but that's just not his game. But it is Jalen Hurts' game. I'm looking at this Giants team and I'm saying they got a lot of fight. They fought close against Philly with backups to backups in a game where Philly needed and the Giants did not. Jalen Hurts looked a little hurt in that game to me. The New York Giants know the system. The New York Giants, I think, have the coaching advantage. I know everybody loves Nick Sirianni, but I still think Brian Dable is one of the top five coaches in this league. I think they have the coaching advantage. And they have the idea that, look, we have not we have everything to play for, but we kind of have already gotten further than anybody gave us credit for. So they could try some things. They could play free and loose. You know who else had that today? Baltimore could play free and loose. They had a backup quarterback. 
Uh, they're going up against it. What about Miami? Free and loose. The Jacksonville Jaguars playing free and loose. I think the Giants are going to have a lot of the same things next week. Now, when the line came out and it hit seven and a half opening, my very first reaction to that was, wow, Philly's being disrespected. Philly is a juggernaut. People would argue that Philly's the best team in the entire league, not only in just in the NFC. Uh, Philly has the potential Super Bowl, I mean, uh, the regular season MVP. They have Super Bowl hopes on their side. But the more I thought about it, the more I said, well, Philly does have offensive line problems right now. They are injured. Philly can be run on well, enter Saquon Barkley, and now enter Daniel Jones. You remember how Philly had a lot of problems with Justin Fields. They did win that game. They had a lot of problems against Justin Fields. The Giants' defense with Dexter Lawrence in there is a lot better than I think that what we're all looking at them, or Leonard Williams, I'm sorry, with Leonard Williams in there. Um, they're a lot better when he is in there and he's missed some time this year. The, my first reaction immediately, and I'm sitting in Atlantic City, which are the people that do not know in Las Vegas, it is, you're either a Giants fan in Atlantic City or you're an Eagles fan. And the Eagles fans mm-hmm. kind of outnumber the Giants fan. So I was getting reactions from everybody. And and generally speaking, Philly fans do feel very disrespected. They feel disrespected. Seven and a half is not enough. Uh, They can beat the Giants. They're going to beat down the Giants. And Giants fans are smiling ear to ear going, wow, we're getting more than a touchdown against a division rival in the way that we're playing in this kind of spot with their team hurting. So I'm torn here. I've gone back and forth in just the last, whatever, five or six hours. I've switched from... Philly being disrespected to, ooh, I'm starting to lean to the Giants. And I don't know where I sit right now. What about you? What's your initial thoughts on this, Chris? Yeah, my initial thoughts are when you're talking about a hated in-division rivalry like this, and it doesn't get much more hated than the Giants or the Eagles, to be honest with you. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that surprise me that the number is you know close to a touchdown in that I, I think that when you take a look at how the Giants can – stay in this football game, or even possibly win this football game, it's not, to me, going to be about the Giants defensively and, 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 and any magic puzzle or solving the Philadelphia Eagles from an offensive standpoint. The Eagles are going to score their points. I just have that feeling. And when I, when I kind of project to this matchup coming up next week, I think a little bit about the game. And, I look, I get it. It's week one. It was a matchup between the Detroit Lions and the Philadelphia Eagles. And it was a scoring fest, right, where they went back and forth. But I get the feeling that I think the Giants are going to be have to be that kind of potent offensively. The Giants are going to have to put up numbers. Now, they put, were able to put up 31 against this Minnesota defense on the road against Minnesota. And they were able to, you know, utilize every single tool in the toolbox, so to speak, with respect to having your quarterback being able to be effective on the ground, having your running back have a great game, having, a, you know, a plethora of receivers that were out there that were able to be effective and actually contribute. And they're going to have to do that, you know, tenfold against the Philadelphia Eagles if they're going to stay in this football game. So I think, to be honest with you, Tommy, I take a look at this. I think it's all about what the New York Giants offense is able to do against that Philadelphia Eagles offense, as opposed to what a lot of what you talked about regarding Philadelphia and their defense and their prowess and what they were able to do against the New York Giants during the regular season in their two matchups. So I, I think it's going to be all about it, it, it. Let me tell you something. I think if it's going to be a close football game where it's within seven and, and people that are on each, each end of the betting spectrum are going to be, you know, obviously highly intrigued and interested. 
and it's a close game, it's going to have to, the Giants offense is going to have to go out there and put up numbers. And if not, if it ends up being a game in which uh, the Eagles do take that mindset that you just described regarding and, and take on the mindset, I'm sure what Philly fan is doing right now, we are, they're all up in arms and saying, what the heck? Why are we only a touchdown and the hook favorite over this team that's nine, seven and one? And that was, you know, that had to play in the wild card round. If the Eagles take that approach and end up, for all intents and purposes, boat racing the Giants, and it ends up being like a a thirty-one to ten type of game, then uh, then you know then obviously the Giants' offense was not up to the task, in my opinion, and able to uh, to kind of to kind of be able to flex their muscles in a game like this, in which they need to be. They're, they did not get they they were not able to get the performance, the repeat performance out of Daniel Jones the repeat performance out of Saquon Barkley, the repeat performance out of all these, out of, out of these receivers, Hodgkins, uh, Hodgkins, Hodgkins and these guys. So I think that's going to be a big key as you look ahead to this matchup between New York and Philadelphia this weekend. All right, Chris, let's take our time out here. When we get back, I have opening lines for Kansas City, Jacksonville. I want to get your thoughts on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Is Brandon Staley officially gone? I think he is. Might as well be. Uh, we'll talk about that. And, yes, we will still break down Cowboys, Bucks tomorrow night. Chris will give you his lean. I'm going to give you some of the prop plays that I like. I do sort of like the game. I think it's more of a watching game, but we'll get into all that more. Still lots to do. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right here on Heat Wave Sports. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys. Welcome back. Hour number two, Heat Wave Sports. We'll talk about all the wild card weekend playoff games. Tom Barton here from TomBartonSports.com. Go check me out, TomBartonSports.com. Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube. I can always use all those likes and subscriptions. Go check that out as well. I'm here with Chris Wynn. And, Chris, uh, we talked about today's games, but let's go back. Let's go back to yesterday where we had one of the more impressive games that you could possibly have uh, when you're talking about Jacksonville. What a tale of two halves. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence had four interceptions in the first half, then he had four touchdowns in the second half. Doug Peterson knew he had the momentum, knew every single thing that was riding on it. He decided to go for two to make it a two-point game and a weird choice in a playoff game, but it worked out. They were pushing, they were shoving, and the Chargers were kind of just the Chargers, right? I mean, Brandon Staley looked out of his element in the second half. I'm not going to blame Justin Herbert, but look, the defense didn't look very good. Nick uh, Joey Bosa was throwing his helmet on the sideline. He looked like a child. That was terrible. It was a bad look by the Chargers. They completely unraveled. I don't expect Brandon Staley to have a job uh, by this time next weekend, and he shouldn't. I do expect Jacksonville to continue the success, though. I don't know if they're going to do it against the Chiefs, the opening line there in that game. Eight and a half, although I did see it reach as high as nine and a half, minus only 105 earlier today. So we'll see what that happens. Supposed to be snowy in Kansas City. Totals 52. Talk to me about what you think about the Jaguars yesterday. And what about this Chiefs-Jags game? Yeah, an epic uh, wild card game there on a Saturday afternoon here in uh, 2023, Tommy. And uh, with respect to Brandon Staley, look, he is without question on borrowed time. It was uh, not only the reckless play calling that took place in this game, 
against the Jaguars uh, yesterday. But it was also what transpired last week, right? When in week 18, you've got key, just important offensive players and defensive players still playing in the football game. And then one of your best receivers, Mike Williams, gets injured in that football game. Look, Brandon Staley was getting just lambasted throughout the week because of that terrible decision that he made of having guys in there at the time. We all know what transpired also last year in the final regular season game against the Las Vegas Raiders in which, you know, the, the Chargers end up not making the playoffs. It is just a terrible record of bad decisions been made that, that were made by Brandon Staley. And then it culminates, of course, in a historic comeback win for the Jacksonville Jaguars in this game here on Saturday. But uh, look, Trevor Lawrence, it wasn't pretty without question for Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars early on, right, Tommy? You're talking about misfiring on 12 of his first 13 throws in this game, and he was getting booed long before halftime. And uh, myself, I was here in Las Vegas covering the uh, UNLV run Rebels basketball game and uh, had some action on the Jacksonville Jaguars money line in this game and was uh, probably pretty much like most of the betters out there and most of us uh, NFL fans out there that did have the Jaguars side in this one thinking and writing it off as, uh, you know, it's a loss or it's a done, it's a done deal. You're going to have a uh, Jacksonville team that, uh, you know, with first season coach Doug Peterson looks like he would, uh, you know, everything positive that he's done all year long was going to be flushed down the toilet in the teams uh, in this, in this game for Jacksonville, but it was not the case. You, you you have to give credit where credit is due. And Trevor Lawrence was outstanding. A big part, you know, obviously connecting with, uh, with every one of his receiving targets, from Zay Jones to Marvin Jones to Evan Ingram to Christian Kirk for touchdowns that uh, continue to just to increase the belief in their young quarterback. And uh, Jacksonville ends up making, you know, just a, an outstanding comeback, and the Chargers end up just wetting themselves, basically. And uh, you've got Lawrence, who ends up finishing with, what, uh, just under 290 yards and uh, in a in, in shocking way. And a shocking ending to a, to a game for him, which did not start well at all. So the Jaguars come away with kind of an historic win and uh, catapult themselves into a matchup where they get to head to Kansas City this week. And uh, But to me, it wasn't necessarily, while it seems like it should be, all about celebrating Jacksonville being able to come back with a victory, much of what's going to be discussed, and uh, and particularly probably in the next 24 hours, or uh, within uh, probably in, in about just a matter of a few hours on your Monday, you're probably going to be talking about a coach that's getting fired in Los Angeles with the Chargers and Brandon Staley. I think Brandon Staley has to go. Um, I thought he was a bad hire to begin with, but not only the Mike Williams thing, which was terrible, um, yeah. but but not able to handle Joey Bosa, the, the, the disrespect that he got on the sideline. I mean – and the idea that we always say on the show, and I've said this since the very first time that I was on this air, I said, if anybody ever calls, anybody ever writes, any fans ever want to say to me, hey, fire this guy, you had better have a name of a replacement right behind him that you will make will make them better immediately. Well, there is one, right? I mean, Sean Payton is the guy. Um, that is a clear, clear, clear upgrade. But let's talk about the Jaguars here. I love what Peterson's been doing. I think people don't realize how good the Jaguars are. That's why I was all over the Jags yesterday. This is why, why I was on the Jags before the season. Because 
you give Doug Peterson time to unravel what Urban Meyer has done. The Jags have now won seven of the last eight games. Okay, they've scored 30-plus games in five of those games. Trevor Lawrence looks absolutely fantastic at times. I know he didn't look good in the first half, but it says something to his character that came back and still threw four, four touchdowns in the second half. They were so confident at that point in the second half that you forgot that you were the Jaguars. And now they go up against the Chiefs. It's threatening double digits. And I think everyone's going to jump on, on double digits. I think that everybody's going to jump on the Chiefs here. But why don't the Chiefs get the same kind of criticism that Minnesota gets? Because the Chiefs have been the worst against the spread team this year. They have now been the worst against the spread team running for two years. And let's talk about their wins. Seven-point win against the Packers. Ten-point win against, uh, well, I'm sorry, here. No, go back. So they beat up the Raiders in the last week, okay? A Raiders team that was playing a, a, a backup. Three points against the Broncos. They did beat the Seahawks by two touchdowns. Barely got by the Texans. Six-point win against the Broncos. Beat up on the Rams. Beat the Chargers by three. Jaguars by 10. Titans by three in overtime. Uh, they housed the Niners in the best game of the year. Raiders by one. I mean, you're, you're listening to threes, ones, sevens, ones. That's why they're terrible against the spread team. And that Jacksonville game, look, these two have played before. It was in Kansas City. This was before Jacksonville started their streak. Mahomes threw four touchdown passes, okay? Yet they were only they only won by 10 points. Trevor Lawrence had a solid game. Travis Etienne was still kind of working his way back into this thing. I don't know why the Chiefs just get the pass that they should just dominate this game. Do I think the Chiefs are going to win? Yeah, I, I, I do. But I think we're still in that frame of mind where we don't know who the Jaguars are or the public is still downgrading Jacksonville just because we're so used to going, ah, Jags stink. If you took the Jags off of their jersey, put any other team on it, people would go, wow, they've won seven of eight. Trevor Lawrence is playing at an elite level. They just came back and, and they won. They played this team to 10 in the first meeting. This is going to be a close game. Instead, all I've heard is that this is going to be a Kansas City absolute blowout. Chris, I just don't see it. Yeah, you talked about the resilience of this Jacksonville team. No question. You mentioned the 7 of 8. And uh, that game, uh, early, I believe it was mid-November, where they played against the Kansas City Chiefs and then lost by 10 in that game. They won every single game except for the blowout against my Detroit Lions in Detroit, where the Lions just boat raced them 40 to 14. But every other game. And then they won five straight to close the season out. And then obviously, you know, and they ended up winning the division because, they, you know, you go on a five-game winning streak there despite the fact that throughout the rest of the regular season, right, from week one on, this is basically a Jekyll and Hyde team, losing the teams they shouldn't lose to, but then, you know, pulling out a win occasionally. They were a back-and-forth team. So I do like the resilience of this Jacksonville team, and you do like the direction that they're going in with Doug Peterson as the head coach. Now, that being said, uh, Tommy, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Do you think that this is a team that is a legitimate contender as we go towards 23-24 and, and beyond? That a team that could be up there with you know with the likes of the Kansas City Chiefs, and probably a team like the Chargers and and obviously the Bills, and and some others in the AFC, uh, the Miami Dolphins, some others that, that that are contenders. Do you think that this is a Jacksonville team that should be mentioned along with those other teams when it comes to being a Super Bowl contender coming out of the AFC? I think they're a Super Bowl contender this year. I think that they have a legitimate yeah. shot to beat Kansas City. 
um, where, again, I just said, I think Kansas City wins, but they have a shot. I've watched Kansas yeah. City bungle away too many games. I've watched them play close. They, Jacksonville is red hot. They have a young fly around defense. Stranger things have happened. I think they can get by Kansas City. What I watched from the Bengals and the Bills today tells me they can certainly get by them. I, I think with Jacksonville, it's all about confidence. I really do. I think that they are a very talented team. Look at all the number one picks they have on it, right? They're very well coached. And it's about the confidence. And we didn't see that confidence until the second half. And then all of a sudden, Doug Peterson was doing things that said, guys, look at how confident I am in, with, uh, in you. You should be this confident. I would be really, really, really nervous if I was the Chiefs and Jacksonville got up, right? We know they could come back. Yeah. I'd be nervous if I were the Chiefs and all of a sudden gave the Jags some confidence because the Jags with confidence can take advantage of the things that the Chiefs do poorly. The Chiefs have a hard time not only stopping the run, but pass catching backs out of the backfield. That's something Travis, Travis Etienne does great. The Chiefs have had hard times in their past against mobile quarterbacks. Well, Trevor Lawrence has the mobility that can hurt them defensively is obviously going to be the problem. It always is the problem. It's up against Mahomes. But Mahomes threw four touchdowns last last time they met, and they only lost by 10. You got to go, okay, can you keep them to three? <laughs> you know, can you keep them yeah. to 300 yards and three touchdowns? And if you do that, I think Jacksonville has a chance. So, yeah, to answer your question, not only do I think the Jags are a Super Bowl contender moving forward, I think they could be a Super Bowl contender this year. And, Tommy, a quick note, too. When you look at this Jaguars offense, you obviously love the familiarity with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Antienne. But Antienne's coming to his own uh, as far as a running back in the NFL. I mean, he's establishing himself as a young, rising, up-and-coming player in this league at that position. And also a guy that's found his home there in Jacksonville that really has, you know, kind of solidified himself there, Christian Kirk, right? A guy that's kind of, you know, obviously in Arizona, he was able to kind of establish himself as a receiver there. But you love the fit there in Jacksonville and what he's been able to contribute and how important he is to this offense. And after the game, it was great to see the comments that he made, you know, regarding uh, him getting a chance to land in Jacksonville and feel like he can be a big time part of this team. And make no mistake about it, right, Tommy, those pieces are going to be instrumental if this Jacksonville team is going to be able to make a run, like you say here, this year maybe, possibly as soon as this year, to a Super Bowl in the AFC, and of course moving forward throughout the future. Yeah, I mean, I really do believe it's a confidence thing. Look at all the the elite talent you just mentioned. You know, the Christian Kirk's, the Zay Jones. Uh, they're finally starting to kind of believe in themselves. Uh, yeah. Let's talk quickly about San Francisco. Uh, yeah, uh, you talk about talent. They are maybe the most <laughs> talented team in the league. You want to talk about confidence? They have the most confidence winning 11 games in a row. They have found something in Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is not a game manager. This is not a fluke. This is not a fun story. No, Brock Purdy is absolutely the perfect guy for Shanahan's offense. And it's funny because when Brock Purdy came in, that's exactly what I said. We were on the air the, the week after, and I said, this isn't a one-week fill-in, guys. He, Shanahan has a very specific offense, and he wants him to run it. Christian McCaffrey has made all the difference. George Kittle is on fire. Debo Samuel. We talk about San Francisco, we talk about the number one defense in the league, the number one running defense in the league. We talk about Nick Bosa, defensive player of the year, or likely defensive player of the year. This offense is almost unstoppable. You have so many facets. I am shocked that the game was even a little bit close, and I give Pete Carroll a ton of credit coming out of the locker room for keeping this game close. But San Francisco is just rolling people right now. I have a feeling with San Francisco, either – Obviously, it's going to come crashing down with Brock Purdy and the kind of the Cinderella story will end. 
But Chris, I have a feeling that we're going to be looking back in three, four, five years from now, and we're going to go, remember that's when this long dynasty started? Did we know? Did we know back then how good the Niners were? And people are going to look at the stats and they're going to say, how did you guys not know? How, how did you not realize that the Niners were going to just absolutely roll over people and go to the Super Bowl? How did you not know? I have a weird feeling that's the kind of Niners team we're looking at. I, I mentioned earlier, if the Niners played San Francisco, uh, played Philadelphia in Philly, I think the Niners are a favorite in that NFC championship game. So I don't really care. You know, tomorrow night, we're going to preview that game. I don't care who wins, whether it's the Cowboys or the Bucks. I think San Francisco absolutely is just rolling right now. They are unstoppable right now. And we will break down the Cowboys-Bucks game. But I'm looking at advanced numbers. The advanced numbers say if they take on the Cowboys, they're going to be about a seven-point favorite. If they take on the Bucks, they can be upwards of nine or nine-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. Chris, they are unstoppable, man. Tommy, I'll use the word hilarious to describe my next point that I'm going to talk about regarding the San Francisco 49ers because you brought it up as far as all of the firepower they have, especially from an offensive standpoint, obviously, defensively, you know, they're, you know, we're talking about, you know, it, the premier defense in the league, if not one of the best. And But offensively, they've got weapons all over the place. So your immediate assumption, everybody's immediate thought process is that, well, Brock Purdy's kind of the weak link out of everybody they have from an offensive standpoint. It's just not the case, folks. This guy essentially picked up where he left off in the regular season for San Francisco. And when you think about young quarterbacks, right, Tommy, in the NFL, you think about jitters usually when the postseason rolls around, right? You think they're going to start showing signs of, of unfamiliarity and be you know nervous and be jittery. It's just not the case with this guy. He was absolutely showed no signs of that whatsoever. He won his sixth straight start since replacing Garoppolo back in, what, week 13 in that win over the Dolphins. And, I mean, the guy went out there and played big time. He had a touchdown on the ground, a few touchdowns through the air. You got him, you know, flushed out of the pocket, spinning back in one direction. Then he finds Elijah Mitchell for that score that essentially put the Niners in control for good in this matchup against Seattle. This is a, a remarkable story, to be quite honest with you. And obviously it's along the lines of Tom Brady when you're talking about, you know, a quarterback getting drafted late. In Brock, Brock Purdy's case, you know, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft, which uh, I, I got to be honest, the only the last guy I remember that was Mr. Irrelevant that had any implications or or had any effect whatsoever when it came to the postseason was Marty Moore, who was, you know, a guy that played, I believe he's a linebacker with the, doing the Patriots back in the day. That's the last person I remember that was Mr. Irrelevant that was making a difference when it came to the postseason. But it, Brock Purdy, I mean, the Niners have already said, that if Garoppolo is able to come back and play in the postseason, he's going to be the backup to Brock Purdy. Uh, you know, he, so there, there already is a mindset that this is Brock Purdy's team, and the San Francisco 49ers are charging and clicking on all cylinders right now, rolling through, rolling through. Obviously, the divisional round, and now they are going to have a, you know face a matchup next week. But this is a this is a San Francisco team that was able to absolutely establish their dominance against the Seattle Seahawks and. You know, the, the Seahawks kind of, you know, in the mismatch of those teams that were nine and eight and nine, seven and one that were trying to battle out for the last playoff spot. Well, they looked every bit the uh, the, the uh, inferior team, I should say, against San Francisco on Saturday, despite the fact that hey, you got to applaud Geno Smith. He had a tremendous season without question. And they do have some pieces to build around there in Seattle. But 
uh, it was just a team that was flat out overmatched. And the uh, San Francisco 49ers are absolutely one of the more formidable, formidable teams in the NFC moving forward, Tommy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Niners are going to be tough. Let's let's take a quick time out of here, Chris. Um, we got a little bit of show left, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the huge Monday night matchup and the team that is going to be having to face that San Francisco team, Dallas or Tom Brady. Who do you got? Because you can't convince me this is Dallas against the Bucks. This is Tom, Dallas against Tom Brady. I'll explain more on the other side of the break right here on Heat Wave Sports. Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys. One game left to preview here. The last game on the board. And, and I love that they gave us a Monday night game, uh, you know, for Martin Luther King Day, which is tomorrow. It's pretty cool, Chris, you know, that we do still have a playoff game. I remember in the past, you know, it's always been uh, a full slate of basketball games all day long. Hockey gets involved, college basketball. Uh, but to end it off, with Tom Brady, Dallas Cowboys, it's just absolutely phenomenal. You knew that this was going to get all the TV ratings, but from a, a straight football standpoint, we should not be excited about this game because neither one of these teams are doing damage. I'm sorry, they're just not. Neither one of these teams are doing any damage. They have major, major flaws. Both of these teams have talent, but I don't like either one of their head coaches. Both of these teams have talent, but they're running games. Dallas Cowboys are only averaging 75 yards the last two weeks. They're running game, and we know about Fournette and the problems that they have. Their running games have not been good this year. Both of these teams have talent, but their star players have taken a considerable step back in a lot of cases. I'm not just talking about Brady and Prescott. Both of these defenses have talent, but when you look at the metrics, both of them rank 15th and 17th, basically middle of the pack in most categories. So, they are very similar, even though they're designed quite different. The Bucs have massive problems scoring. They've only scored more than 23 points once in the last eight games. But the Dallas Cowboys, against a Washington team that was playing a third-string quarterback in his first start in Sam Howell, and a third-string running back because Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson were out last week, they, they looked awful. Dak Prescott has 11 turnovers since Thanksgiving. So neither one of these teams we should be excited about, but the game itself... We should be really excited about because I think it's going to be an absolutely awesome game. The Dallas Cowboys, depending on where you're looking, are about a two-and-a-half or a three-point favorite, which, okay, I get it. I guess they should be. I've seen the number be 46, 45-and-a-half total, depending on where you're looking. We've had five straight overs before to start the year. This is one of the games that I told you I leaned to the under right away uh, because of the Bucs scoring problems. And then you start to break this down and you go, well, what, what can I bet here, Tom? I don't like the game, Chris. I think that the Dallas Cowboys should win. But what you said during the break is something I have never done in the playoffs. And that is bet against Tom Brady. I have never bet against Tom Brady. Now, I don't always bet for him like I won't do tomorrow. I think that the Dallas Cowboys should win. But I think that Brady doesn't go out like that. I think that Leonard Fournette has to have a better, better game. Uh, a prop play is over 60 yards, 3-1. to one. I think Dalton Schultz has a good game. Prop play is over 37 yards. I kind of like that. But that's all I'm doing for this game. This is one of those fan games. I'm going to sit back and hope that I see a Tampa Bay team that changes my mind that maybe they can make a run. 
I hope that I can see a Dallas team that maybe changes my mind and maybe they can make a run. Because what I've watched in these two teams this year is there are spurts, moments of greatness, moments of what they can be. You know, a quarter, a drive, a possession, a play where they look great, even a game where they come out and they look great. But there's no consistency. There's no good feeling around either one of these teams going into a playoff race. But with that being said, one of them is going to come out. One of them is going to come out of this game with a playoff win under their belt. Dallas hasn't won a playoff game basically since like the 90s. And Brady, look, he doesn't lose playoff games. He doesn't lose at home. He doesn't lose getting points. He doesn't lose on Monday night. He's actually 7-0 against the Cowboys. So he doesn't lose against the Cowboys either. What do you think about this game, Chris? So, Tommy, when you take a look at this matchup between Dallas and Tampa Bay, there's probably no team that's more under the microscope, so to speak, than the Dallas Cowboys, right? And this is a team, obviously, that you lose Dak Prescott for five games during the season after he broke that right thumb in that season opening loss. You get the you know streak of winning of wins that you know that uh, that that Cooper Rush comes in and uh, and it, and it gets you feeling pretty good, right? If you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, but there hasn't been the consistency for this team down the stretch, and of course, it culminates with that listless double-digit loss to to the Washington Commanders in the regular season finale, which kind of raises questions, right, about your readiness as you go into the postseason. Now, Tampa Bay has had consistency issues as well, too. This is a team that I don't believe has won two straight games like the entire season. I mean, it's been, it's been a team that hasn't been able to kind of establish any kind of streaks whatsoever. And you talked about Dallas and their postseason futility, Tommy. Yes, they have not won a postseason game on the road since the 1992 playoffs. That's how long it's been since they've won a road playoff game. They've won games at home where they had a matchup uh, against my Detroit Lions in the playoffs as recently as 2014, 13, 14. But, uh, but I digress. And we talked about – you talked about it, and I'm going to reiterate it, and I'm going to bring it up again. When you're talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you're talking to top Tom Brady, the guy's 7-0 and against the Dallas Cowboys, including wins with Tampa Bay the past two season openers. This is Tom Brady – who is, you know, venturing into his late 40s, you know, has more games played, more wins, more Super Bowl titles, appearances, passing yards, touchdown passes. You go across the board. And even this season, right, you don't think about it and say, oh, yeah, Tom Brady had just a a great season. The Buccaneers, you know, he was, you know, he's he just, you know, powering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the postseason. I mean, he had a pretty solid season from a statistical standpoint. You're talking about a guy going into his late 40s, with almost 47, heart, 47 yards passing, right? Uh, his own, breaking his own NFL mark when it came to completions in the season with 490. And that's despite the fact that the Bucks have been kind of inconsistent on offense. You mentioned, obviously, Leonard Fournette. White, you like what White's been able to do. You like some of the pieces they have in the receiving core. But it hasn't been a team that's been necessarily consistent, as I pointed out earlier, regarding you know not being able to win two games in a row at any point during the season, but you love knowing and you love having the comfort, right, Tommy, of a five-time Super Bowl MVP on your side. And I take a look at this matchup, you know, tomorrow between these two teams. A big key, you know, I I don't want to think that it's going to be Dak Prescott or Tom Brady that's going to win the game. I got, to me, it's going to be about those running back tandems. You know, what are you going to get out of uh, Zeke and out of Pollard? What are you going to get out of Fournette and White? 
and the, I think the running the running game is going to be key for both these teams. What are you going to get in receiving course for these squads offensively and defensively? Do you get a big turnover? Do you get a defensive score that ends up being the difference? I think that Dallas is up against it uh, from from the standpoint of just a number standpoint as what I just ran down those numbers regarding either against Tom Brady or in the postseason on the road. And I think it's going to be tough. And I see that number, you know, at two and a half for the, for the Dallas Cowboys. And I would be wary if I was on the side of this, of the, of the, of the big lone star in in that situation. I think that uh, to me, I think this is absolutely a scenario where I could see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers moving on, but I would agree with your assessment with respect to both of these teams from the standpoint of the playoffs and going any further, I think obviously you have to have a winner between these two teams because they're playing each other, but don't have any illusions or delusions that either one of these teams is going to be going any deeper when it comes to the NFC playoffs. You know, the thing that gets me about this game is that it really is, and I'm not joking, but it really is, it's Tom Brady. That's it. That's the only yeah. reason why we take, even think about taking the, the the Bucks here. It's Brady. In the past, you could say, well, it's always been like that. No, absolutely not. In the past, it was, wow, they have that dominating defense. When they went to the Super Bowl, they had that dominating defense. In the past, it's been playoff four net, right? Oh, yeah, playoff four net. It's Brady. It's only Brady. That's all it is, is Brady. You know, and while I love Brady, I, I, I have been – called every Brady apologist name in the world, right? I love Brady. I do. I'm a big fan. He needs he needs something else. He needs something else tomorrow. We can't just go out there and say the Dallas Cowboys are facing Tom Brady because they have the ability to run Pollard 20 times, run Zeke 20 times. You know, they can yeah. run the ball 30, 35 times, 40 times. They can keep Brady off the field. That's the kind of offense they can put together now will they it's the cowboys mccarthy's not that bright you know they probably won't do anything like that but chris we only got about two minutes here but chris this is am i right it's brady against the cowboys we don't even look at the rest of the team well it's funny and it's a quick point i'll make here as we round it down right tommy when you think about tom brady and his offenses even new england right it was all about guys who we're kind of no names, right? Is these games, and and he's got that kind of, he's got that kind of roster in Tampa Bay. Obviously, Leonard Fournette's a quality running back. We understand that, but you're talking about Rashad White. You're talking about Tompkins. You're talking about you know Giovanni Bernard. You're, and in the receiving core, I mean, so many of these names, with the exception, obviously, of Mike Evans, has been an All Pro player and is you know is considered one of the top receivers in the league. You know, guys like Godwin and Russell Gage. And you know, and 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 Otten and Brayton, you know, uh, th- these are these are names that 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 bring me back to some of those those guys in New England that were never all pro receivers, right? They were just kind of like, uh, you know, the everyman that were out there playing with him. And so it seems to me, Tommy, that when you when you take a look, when you think of Tom Brady, we're on point when we're saying it's about it's all about Tom Brady, and we're kind of we're kind of saying that tongue in cheek. But I get I get a feel when I look at this Tampa Bay roster offensively, much like I looked at a lot of those those New England Patriot rosters, you know, when it came to, you know, with the exception of guys like Randy Moss and Mike Evans, you know, there's just a lot of guys out there that Tom Brady makes uh, look good and that uh, can, you know, 
and, and can kind of, uh, you know, go down that that road when it comes to the supporting cast around TB12, the greatest of all time when it comes to NFL quarterbacks. It's going to be a good one tomorrow. Look, I think it is going to be a really good game. I don't see a blowout either way. That's kind of why I don't like the game. From a watching standpoint, I love it. From a betting standpoint, I hate it. <laughs> I will be staying yeah. away. Uh, Chris, it's been fantastic running this all down with you, man. Uh, next week, we will be back on the air on Sunday night reviewing who's going on to the AFC NFC Championship games. Myself, Tim Unglesby, hopefully you'll jump on board with us. Uh, guys, uh, you had to enjoy this week. You had to absolutely enjoy this weekend, but it's not over. Tomorrow, most everybody has off. Celebrate Martin Luther King Day. Enjoy the college basketball. Get ready for a really good football game at night. I'm Tom Barton, guys. Go check me out at TomBartonSports.com. It's TomBartonSports.com. I am absolutely on fire. You can go look at the numbers to back it up. I am monitored right after the game goes off. Within 10 minutes of the game going off, all of the plays are released so you can follow me along. When I tell you I am winning, winning consistently and winning at the numbers and the, the peaks that I'm telling you, you guys can go check it out yourself. Go check out TomBartonSports.com. Go check me out at Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube. Also, I have a couple of podcasts I'd like you to go check out. Believe in Betting on the Believe Podcast Network, where I give a free play every single week, and I've had two losers since before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I give out one play a week. Two losers since before Thanksgiving. Do the math on that one. That's Believe in Betting on the Believe Podcast Network. I also believe in the Ivy League. I was telling Chris, I kind of like a couple of Ivy League games tomorrow. 9 a.m., we got a couple of Ivy League games out there tomorrow, so go check out Believe in the Ivy League there. Also, wagering week on the Sports Garden Network as well. Thanks a lot to everybody. Guys, enjoy your week. Next time I talk to you, we're going to know who's going to the AFC and NFC Championship games. I am pumped up for that. Have a very good night, Las Vegas. <laughs>